earlier today asked for some uh, offered the opportunity for questions and you responded to that so I hope this is um, helpful well the issue of advance asking questions and responding itself is a, a phenomenon I think I must be quite careful and uh, respectful of that process. I don't really answer questions, I try to respond to people. So I, I kind of try to get a sense of what's happening for you when I, when I read these, these questions what's happening to me. It's a little bit tenuous, but in some of this is perhaps just the sheer uh, request for information, which is valid enough. Some of it seems to be more like uh, nature of being a dilemma, wishing some advice, wishing to make progress, inclinations. Um, information is not that difficult to provide it's not necessarily always that useful Um, often advice is best served by dialogue but I hope that if I try to respond to some of these that may help you to inquire in line with what I'm, the way I respond to it. I've taken just a few. So I generally don't um, use questions on you know, myself, not because I don't think I'm important. <laughs> because I don't see how that can benefit you. Or of interest, but I'm not here to be interesting. <laughs> so this, this is a special occasion. So I've just taken a few and I'll try to um, make use of them. So there's a few on breathing. First, we'll just. Um, read them or, or in a, condense them a little bit. One questioner was about we have practiced a great deal of long, slow, deep breathing. I found in my practice what feels like concentration is accompanied by rather shallow, almost evanescent breaths. Am I doing this part wrong? Another question focusing on exhale. You, you suggested focusing on the exhale and holding it when stuck in a pattern psychological, mental, somatic locks what other suggestions do you have for connecting to the body when stuck actually that's really a slightly separate topic the question is about the interaction of the breath and the mind we all experience the mental states can affect the breath in a gross way such as when fear in the mind increases the respiration rate 
Some teachers describe much more subtle interactions between breath and mind. Buddhadasa described being able to shape mental states via subtle changes in the manner of breathing, for example. They discuss this phenomenon of breath-mind interaction. How does it work? How can a meditator learn to become more aware of it? So, questions on breathing? Well, you to, to really get to um, fully experience breathing. So, I do often say that we're not watching the breath, we're experiencing breathing. We always we do experience breathing, what does happen to us. <laughs> and at times we do experience it, and other times we don't experience it. So our first level of practice is to try to, how, what will help to experience that more constantly, and why bother? Anyway, because it's a sense of steadiness and consistency that is helpful. Steady, rhythmic, rhythmic mind is soothed by rhythmic processes. Like rocking a baby, mind is soothed by rhythmic process. It easily attunes to rhythm. So the Buddha emphasizes in breathing out, breathing, get, get this rhythmic process. If it's not rhythmic, then it's not going to do the work. It's helpful. So this is why we, you know, put patient effort into making the body more available for that. Using posture, open the body to get more complete quality of breathing. To happen, the other uh, feature of it is that breathing happens whether you like it or not. So whether you wanted to breathe or not, it happens sooner or later. So this is the involuntary aspect of it. So it's always a bit precarious to talk too much about doing stuff with breathing because one of the gifts of it is the involuntary nature of it. In fact, you don't do it. It happens. So this gives a certain sense of the mind can step back because it's not doing it. It's receiving it rather than doing it. This is quite a powerful uh, shift and quite an important thing to understand. When you're Buddhist, not meditate or not, you do not do breathing. Or if you do, then that's an addition to what's required. When you sleep, you breathe. Your hands. And if we want to use this, then surely we should really, you know, totally, fully experience it as it, as it, in its, in its own nature, not with what we want it to do, or make, or become, or how we use it to get enlightened, or make it work for us, or develop interesting things with it. This is all tweaking and tinkering, and um, we should be very wary of that attitude, until we really know and really comfortable, and really settled in. Uh, so that, that breathing then becomes just totally natural and, and, and feels, and you can sit and enjoy it. 
That's our responsibility. It does say, the Buddha says, training oneself. One. And of course the language is different between Pali and English. So often the Pali misses out the personal pronouns, you know, or verbs are slightly different, verbal formations. So, um, but there's a sense in which one is aware of that experience because it's in thoroughly experiencing the fire body one breathes in, one breathes out so one trains oneself so one doesn't do breathing one does training one does uh, breathing, thoroughly experiencing breathing in, breathing out completely thoroughly sensitive to it one trains oneself to what? to be thoroughly sensitive what, what trains are to be thoroughly sensitive to be very receptive what trains to be receptive to be less proactive less active less making do things we become more sensitive to it the sensitivity aspect of the mind, awareness uh, this is uh, in, in just in the expression and you can look at it it's in this planting book it's right there all the stages are laid out you never say he, he does it. One breathes in, it does say one breathes in and breathes out. But it's just the use of a verb. It's not like, here we go. <laughs> uh, so then one trains oneself to be thoroughly sensitive to, to have a soothing of it. So this is just the way that language works, isn't it? And how do we do that? What kind of attitude or intention uh, causes what piti, um, a sambayam, thoroughly uh, soothing, steadying? What kind of quality uh, does that? Look in the sequence, it's right there. The sambayam, kaya sankara. The kaya, kaya sankara is the bodily formation, I call it the breath body, the very the sense of the breathing now is not just a series of dots or flips occurring on the screen or on your nose or anywhere, it's a flowing almost like a body, it's like you talk about a body of knowledge or you know, or a body of sound I don't mean it's made out of flesh but it's, it's, a, it's a thing a quality, it's flowing like a stream and until this happens one can't really soothe it. So the senses just sort of begin to what helps that stream to flow? Maybe the source and the estuary and the valley. The stream's going to flow. What we can do perhaps is open the valley, get to the source, keep opening the valley so the stream will flow. So to use a metaphor, we do something like that. This you can definitely do. To a degree, to a degree you can do that. But this itself requires a certain relationship with your body. Uh, this relationship with your body may seem so basic, but again, it can be rather elusive. If you just, you, know, you don't stick a crowbar in your body and rip it open. What does it take to get, you have to relax. You get deep relaxing in the body, you 
becomes more open. You can't say, open up body, get that breathing through. So, and you relax without falling asleep. When you hold the spine up, and get the posture, then, by that posture alone, you just leave it. Sit in that posture alone, you know, and stop doing anything more, and linger and wait, it's going to open, because that's the body's nature. So remember we're working with something that is responsive and intelligent and sensitive. So, and if it gets this being on top of it, pummeling it around and doing it, which is so often, well, unfortunately this is a common experience. So though I very much appreciate mindfulness of breathing, I'm often cautious about teaching it or how to teach it. I've heard so many people just find themselves stuck with it or feeling desperate and can't do this and seized up because the person you know, has not has been conditioned into an unresponsive relationship to the body, seeing it as an object. But it enters, first of all, this much more sympathetic, much more receptive, much more, you know, inquiring and gentle relationship to our own body as a living being, like it's a living creature, and respectful. It will open up. Then the stream will begin to flow. So until you get that stream, there's nothing more that one can do in terms of the breath. Breathing. Well, you could, but it, I don't think this is the Buddha. Doesn't seem to be in line with what the Sutta says, or in terms of my own experience. You can jam it. You can force it. You can do things, but I don't see this as conducive to the liberation process which is the liberation of the chitta. We're only doing breathing. So the chitta, the mind, will lose its grasping, its domineering, its agitations, its fiddliness, its egocentricity, its goal orientations. It will drop that and become open and free. So we can't, you know, we must start dismantling the mental hardware as we practice. Just you know, it doesn't all drop off at once. It's just being a little less doing, a little more lingering, a little more allowing, a little more sensitive, a little more feeling actually what the body is about. So breathing will then tend to become a stream. This will become a stream. Then one has entered, begun to experience a correct relationship to this, this breathing. Breathing then you're feeling the flow of nervous energy, kaya sankara. And it starts to form a, a body, a virtual body, you could say. Yeah? This is all, language is metaphorical. Soothing. How do you soothing it? Because now you're in a relationship whereby there's a lot of trust and receptivity in one is no longer, the mind is no longer so you know, kind of pushy or it's much more kindly. So just gently, this attitude of smoothing becomes almost natural, just as when you stroke a cat or something like that. You see this nice creature and you stroke 
and cat responses to it, they like it. So that's what we're looking for, is that possible? Or he just goes, slam, 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 shut up. (laughs) So if this is becoming possible, then this gift of relationship, right relationship, is starting to happen. Now then it's that gift of right relationship, then it becomes possible for his inflections of intention to begin to come in. These inflections of an intentionality. Go quiet. Just go quiet. We need to do so now. Just go quiet. And the breath goes. Let's just sit still for a while. Why don't you sit still for a while? Because that relationship has been established. That's the key for it. In my opinion. And really, it's this sense of the relationship. This is really also, you know, the, perhaps the word one needs to remember in terms of samma samadhi, right or proper, or appropriate or wise, samadhi unification. So, relational quality, mind drops its Baggage becomes light, open, flexible, receptive, sensitive, drops its pushiness or its faltering or its wishfulness or its uh, sluggishness becomes light, agile. And so often the breathing will help to train the mind. Because if it, if it, it's pretty, breathing is a pretty good teacher. If the mind's not in the right space, it will not properly bring those results. So the mind is asked to discard what are called hindrances. So it's discarding hindrances and enjoyment, happiness of that. So this relational sense then becomes available because we're not Cluttered up, mind and the breathing, mind and the body, kind of become much more companions. Breathing becomes companions. Draw close, they unify. Because of that kind of more naked state, mind really is become is it like a, we're experiencing the mind as a as a, also an intent and it's sensitive intelligence and uh, uh, like there's a certain emotion, emotive potential it's a potential to be happy it's potential to be pleased it's potential to take delight in it's potential to admire it's, it's, so it becomes more that quality, that potency opens up. This is of course you know you get any relationship like that with anything, slug, you know, great. <laughs> the potential to, to 
admire, to, to respect, to enjoy, to appreciate certain qualities. Mm. And then the breath will then start to shine. Luminous. And spread. And you can then, then you've got something whereby it can be encouraged, invited to move through the body, and it can be invited to, it teaches us to moderate our mind states. So samadhi, through this relationship, then the breath and the mind, breathing energy and mental energy work on each other. As we can begin to see, if that does become in sort of unified, the mind is in a very naked, uncluttered state, just like energy. An energy with a certain amount of intentionality to it. And then the breathing is also hardly this kind of stuff pouring like air, it's just a, uh, a subtle energy, flowing energy. And then with that, with that, the awareness of that is also very sensitive because there's not a lot of heavy stuff to be dealing with, so it's quite light and, and acute. And then we can sense this feels a little rough here. This is feeling a little bit, do we need to be this fast or this rough or? There's that inflammation. I don't think we need that. Let's just, you know, so you can, that can then help to suggest to this samadhi body you know, less is needed, cooler is needed, you know, more open. And so that, that works from the place of um, awakened intelligence, another concept perhaps. But then if you're in that, if you come into that experience, then these words might be useful. If you're not in that experience, these words are just nice ideas. But they give you some hint. And so the key words I'd like to suggest to you is relationship, respect, uh, body is intelligence, breathing is an energy, and following. And let it train you as well as you train it. So there's a mutuality in that. Those are the key things I would encourage you to contemplate and, and, and bring into uh, um, reality. Relationship, big topic you know, for all of us. So, Long, slow, deep breathing. Well, we may start with that. This is, this is the um, statement in the Anapanasati Sutta. So one first of all is aware, begins more aware of breathing, and so it becomes something that is, is accessible. It may be, you know, it's accessible. It's not, and then, using the posture and, and the attitude and so forth and approaching that. Am I breathing in? Am I breathing out at all? How do I know that? So that may be our first question to enter into until we're getting a response.
the response, we can feel that. We can feel sensations in our chest, in our nose. We're getting it. It's definitely something to refer to. So then, the long breath. It's maybe because for many people, you know, breathe, long breathing is associated with a, a more relaxed state, a repose, state of repose, state of openness and, and relaxation, which may not be accessible. So, and, uh, this is the first thing that's encouraged, long. So, you know, can that, how, do, how can that be encouraged to be longer? So we say, this, you know, where, where does it end? Where does your breathing end? And can you, if you notice where it ends, it ends halfway down your throat. Okay, so it ends. Can you linger there a little bit longer? And sense anything happening, perhaps build up uh, tension, and then you start breathing in. Okay, take it again, comes down to your throat, what you're experiencing. Sort of experiencing this area of my body. With your breath stopping there. How does that feel? It was a little bit constricted. Is there any way in which one might open that or allow that to pass through? If I widen my attention across the entirety of the chest, to the space around me, even down to my fingers, that's a nice wide sense, and begin to relax my mind. Uh, and next time I breathe out, it might be just a little bit more, it might move a little bit more fully through that area. So we sort of work around these things, don't go into the constriction, in fact, just widen and be more sensitive to the entire space around the constriction, around where it stops. So one practices like this, and, and with the mind states as well, if the mind state is, is, is agitated, then just, this is going to be conducive to meant to bodily restriction. My state is, is trying to get on to the next step that's going to be conducive to bodily restriction. Because those attitudes generally cause a constriction in your body. So you can't hurry up to get to it because that constricts it. So all these mental attitudes very much count. And if it does, so this is why we, you kind of want to practice with the, the long, breathing long, in order to realize if there are any mental restrictions, we should know about it. And then if we begin to release that, then that's going to be conducive. Whether we breathe in long or not, we'll begin to recognize that we do get restricted and how to begin to release that. So maybe through this process, breathing becomes longer and longer and then you know, down into the base of the body. And as I suggested, you can even play with connecting the body to the legs. And clearly we don't pump air down the legs, but you may feel just extending, widening one's awareness to include the whole base of the body, just so your awareness is, is cultivating this non-restrictive attitude, non-restrictive practice, practice of, you know, 
letting things fade rather than stopping. So that non-restrictive awareness. So we might say, well, to do that, how do you do that? Well, you keep, you know, including your legs, your feet, but definitely lessens restrictions. So this again is useful. Just to develop an awareness that does that. So you might see these are side effects of the breathing, but the process is not just to get the breathing right, but to you to use what breathing one has to recognise where one's obstacles are and to respond to those. So if the obstacle is restrictedness, hurry up, impatient, can't get it right, then working with those attitudes and using awareness to change those attitudes or to um, you know, no longer follow those attitudes then we can do that and breathing will then begin to respond this is why we do it why use breathing at all because it's a very good um, <coughs> barometer of our nervous patterns can't always solve those nervous patterns through the breath alone but by bearing that in mind you may need to work on your intentions your kind of attention, your drives, your resistances, your fantasies and so on and then the result will be oh, you know, breathe out a bit longer so the long breathing now if it seems shallow well, um, it's a question whether shallowness is what you call samadhi, whether this is samadhi or not. Samadhi has the qualities of being firm and bright and happy. If the mind is firm, bright and happy, who cares what you call it? <laughs> Good enough, isn't it? <laughs> Whether the breath is shallow or not, who cares? <laughs> but if you say, I think this is samadhi, well, maybe it's not. Or maybe it's not samar samadhi. Maybe it's just a, a like a, a quiet state. A quiet state, which could be on the verge of numbing out. Could be. Now, the breathing can be refined but again, exactly what you're referring to, it's up to you to, to know. Shallow breathing, I, generally to me, is, 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 is relatively fast. <coughs> Fluttery kind of. The refined breathing, you can get very refined, could mean that it takes a good 25 seconds at least to breathe out. It's a very fine thread, but maybe even longer. That's very refined breathing, in which there's not a lot of movement, but it's long thread, and it can seem like not even it's not even going where anyway. It's just like a fine what line, just pulse, slightly vibrant, in which there's not a lot of physical movement at all. So yeah, you could say that shallow in the sense it's not doesn't. You use your chest very much. The energy line, how fine it is, has a quality of 
is quite bright. If it's bright, then, you know, and in fact one can sometimes hardly even really know how long it is, or because your mind eventually doesn't really care. You, you stop doing that. You just enjoy it. I mean, it begins to sort of you know, become brighter and finer. But certainly it's not a bad idea to just keep that suggestion in your mind, you know, the back of the mind. Um, do you need to breathe this much? Suggestion. Could you just pause a little longer? Is that okay? A little longer. So there is a nudging, an invitation one can go into that does support refining of the breathing, which means the nervous energies soothe the mind, stops chattering, and things get rather pleasant. So it's sort of, as I say, if you look in the Anapanasati Sutta, you won't find the Buddha recommending a particular place in the anatomy to focus on. Um, it's, the, it's the rhythmic process, and so one could feel a little bit stymied by that at first, because well, where? But then you're not really meditating, or you're bearing the anatomical body in mind quite lightly. You want to come to the direct experience of the body. The direct experience is the sensation, this sense of physical, subtle physical contact occurring, of healing, agreeable, disagreeable, there's energies flowing. That's that's the direct experience body. Really, isn't it? Now, you know, you could say, well, if I just draw my attention up, then maybe that's happening in my head, or my nose, or my throat. That could be indeed the case, and useful. My approach is to, first of all, really step back and and not assume too much about breathing. Is it? What is it? What is this thing? How does it happen? What does the body do? Just be really respectful of that. And then, okay, and then where does it seem? most comfortable or steady. Where can the mind most easily sit down and just be there? And then I don't even know where it is. So sometimes it might seem somewhere in the back of my throat. I might go that place. Is it there? But after all, it doesn't really matter because it's just a glowing sign occurring within awareness. On a good day. <laughs> yeah. And then the Buddha says, you know, it's thoroughly sensitive to the, the entire body, which gives one a sense of something that can suffuse and expand. Uh, so if you use the image here, you find, you know, when the breathing body is appropriate, it has a certain brightening quality, just like you're walking into a cave with a, with a, lantern, so you don't have to run all around the cave, you just hold the candle in the lantern in the centre of the cave and the light suffuses the entire cave. So this is I find this perhaps more for my 
experience this is perhaps a more useful way of, of sensing what is meant there. So it's not a rushing around the body, but sitting through something spreading. Now this is energy, isn't it? Because it does spread through the body, or through our experience of the body. And that's spreading, starts steadying, and then it begins to quieten. So again, I would recommend you don't put too much emphasis on calm at the beginning. Now, though we want to be calm, that's understandable, but I would not place that as your, your primary goal. The primary goal I would suggest is to get the body right, form the relationship, develop an inquiring respectful mind, like this, and begin to work with it and keep practicing with it and look at what you can discard and, and what you can enjoy. Do that long enough, you're going to get calm. It's going to, it's going to happen. But it's going to come skillfully. It's not a numbing, dulling kind of calm. It's a feeling of finish with that, finish with that, finish with that, finish with that. Oh, no. That's good. So it's more like that. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Stuff's happening. Okay. Well, stuff's happening. I'll work with that. See where it goes. So a sense of wise relationship, inquiry, that's what one can... I don't think you can ever mistrust that. Calm can be anaesthetic. Soporific. If, it, if it's something we... Oh, I want to be calm. You know, we, we go for it like that. It's enough on breathing for today. And the body is stuck. Yeah, you can exhale and hold. This is a rather brutal kind of method. But we do brutality on occasion. That <laughs> <laughs> so when you get your paw stuck in a trap, <laughs> don't knock, knock. <laughs> So, uh, so that, there's that, because it just you're really operating on on an, on the nervous system. It gets the nervous system gets jammed into hyper states or locked into hyper states. It's stuck, and it, you know, it's like having hiccups. You know, it just gets locked. And so you've got to really almost, that way you just go straight to the nervous system, put a pressure on it, pressure point, just like you can do with hiccups, find a pressure point, push on it. It's not at all pleasant, but it works. And then you take your thumb off, and it settles. So there's that way of something like that. Otherwise, really, it's a matter of, of patient inquiry and relationship and investigation of the nature of stuckness which can be many many layers and so why is the body stuck? what stuck it? generally what stuck it is psychological, mental, emotional experiences attitude, programs, that's what stuck it it's not born stuck so, you know, the, the, 
actually more useful really way uh, is to begin to touch into some of these psychologies, attitudes, emotional patterns and begin to sensitively you know, work with those or open to those or respect those or inquire into those. It's, that's in a way the more thorough and conducive way that, that one practices. This is itself is a whole major topic which I um, which I use called working with the felt sense of experience. Now these so some of these um, things that get stuck are um, fear freezes us. So fear is a major killer of the mind and the spirit and the body in terms of nervousness, nervous energy. So we can experience fear. We could be traumatized. We could have been abused or violated. So naturally there's a fear pattern stuck in the body. And the body resists. And you can't bully yourself out of fear. You can't say snap out of it in fear. So one has to be very respectful of the, of the, you say, does this feel like, you know, and, and very, these very rarely announce themselves as, hello, I'm fear, because they're frightened of being, you know, they, they're frightened of being observed, actually. That's how, that's what fear is, isn't it? So there has to be this, you know, quality of willing to, willing to meet, and you're, you're willing to open to you, and, uh, yeah, and it's very patient practice, just like taming a wild animal. You don't rush in, you just give it space, go goodwill, invite, you know, just wait. So, and then the more one can really look into, it's like, yeah, where is the experience of safe? Safe, how does that, not just a notion, or as a theory, but as a felt experience, safe to be how I am. Uh, if we again we're trying to change ourselves and get out of fear, that's not that's not so conducive to the quality of being accepting and loving. And still saying, move on, move on. So many of these stuck processes are stuck because we haven't had the skill to unstick them. And even though we may have experienced it, we just haven't had the skill. We've approached it very much from, I do not like this, I want it to go away. Totally natural, doesn't work. So, what we'll try hard, it doesn't work. There's nothing wrong with that, with you, it's just that, that attitude that you've probably been conditioned into, so for everything in your life, doesn't work when it's dealing with these things. Uh, we have to almost de-educate ourselves to uh, all the time in the world to feel what we feel. And um, the felt sense experience is like uh, you know, using because when we touch into the emotional sense it's very volatile. Yeah. It's often hidden. So you know, particularly some of these 
stuck processes, the emotion is hidden. That's what stuck means. It's, it's because it's difficult. It's very difficult to experience. So it's sealed off. That's why it's stuck. So you can't just sort of sniff out of it. You really can't go to the emotion itself because the emotion won't let you in and you don't really know what it is. You may feel it's flurry. But there's a need that will not let so you have to go to the bodily sense of that. Well, it's what I recommend. And we're not just so sensing, you know, prickling in the skin or constriction around the throat. We don't know what is that. We don't really know. But what does it remind me of? You might say. That's the felt sense of something like that. If I had to use a metaphor for this, what would it remind me of? What would it remind me of? Fingers cut around my heart. That's an interesting one. Uh, weight on my back. Mm. Mm. Uh, don't know, but mustn't. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. Mm. So these sorts of things. And trying to sense how anywhere in your body, those parts of your body seem to get charged. It could be your skin. It could be your belly. It could be your throat. It could be somewhere. It gets seems be more lit up, or or the opposite, completely missing. So, what's that? It feels like a big hole. It feels like a big gate, gaping hole. It feels like locked steel. So, you're still just asking for a felt sense of that. And when the felt sense becomes more clear, then again. Awareness of that, opening to that. Mm. And then we don't try to make it go away. But, so almost like, how is, could you say anything, could you almost say to the felt sense of that clause around your heart? Oh, how, how, what would you like? What's helpful? What's, so so that's, the, that's, the, that's the question that is carrying charge of good of goodwill into that. So be how you are and how can we serve you? That's that's the question that carries the quality of goodwill. Even so and this can cause shifts to occur. Still, I've still said it much too briefly. It's a very it's a relational process. We form a relationship to our Difficulty, and out of that relationship, that difficulty, carefully handled, the felt sense can arise, which is sometimes a bit mysterious or foggy, or feels kind of like this, and it may change. Uh, and it's and then the relationship with the felt sense. How can I serve this? So that's that's a very loving relationship, and just give it give it time, and then it may change and shift. And so this is the kind of way in which we we operate for, for releasing these these stuck places. And just bear in mind that you have to be very very disciplined because there's so much natural inclination to get out of it, to stop it happening, 
to get above it, to release it, to understand it, to get beyond it. And the felt sense knows every one of those. <laughs> and it will not move. It will probably get more intense. You've got to be very, very respectful of that. These locks are not small matters. But you do can learn a lot through what they can teach you. Absolutely. And you become a different person. Absolutely. It's a stuck place is actually cutting off some of your potential. It's a block that's stuck, it's limiting you. Yeah. So there's a lot of the treasure in there. So we, we need to approach it with that almost a sense of you know, this is very precious opportunity and I will have to will have to change you. And it will. So just touch into the next topic which is really very much in line with what we talked about. So, well, just a couple of ones, that little one here. How does heedfulness differ from mindfulness? Heedfulness is um, mada, pamada, uh, meaning one, one is, one's ears are pricked, you could say. You're with it, you're alert, you're not zoning out, you're not running into the future, you're not fantasizing, you're just with it. Your, your ears are pricked. What's happening here? It's your poise. And it's non direction, it's just wake up. Everything. You know, it's like you're or, or in a wilderness and you just check out what's going on. What's happening? Where am I? You've got to, with that, you've got a global sense. Yeah. So that's heathen. So it's got no particular. Focus, no particular thing that it's looking at, just wake up. This is the path of the deathless. Heedlessness is the path of death. Buddha certainly didn't mince his words. Um, how does it differ from mindfulness? Mindfulness is focused. So it's definitely something a focal point has been selected. Selected by something called careful attention. So having been alert, having pricked one's ears, what seems important now, what seems... Hmm, don't bother with that, that's not, that's a waste. Yeah, I know where that one goes. This feels, this is where, so, care for attention, this is conducive, this is more steadying, this feels more wholesome, let's abide with that, this feels more beautiful, let's abide with that. Then mindfulness is right, I'll stay with that, I'll stay with that. And I'll even keep, even naming it, if necessary, right? you know, what, what that quality is, like, uh, Goodwill, be mindful of goodwill, mindful of breathing in and out, mindful of death, 
stay on topic and mindfulness is like like a protector if you drift off, excuse me, no, you, this is where you are and he chose this, stay with it, so it does that um, and it can be an idea, mindful of a concept or the meaning of, tr- of something you bear that in mind you heard a teaching and you hold that in mind, frame that up could be a breathing, so it's a range of things. It's, it's the ability to sustain uh, a steady state on a, on a chosen theme, and the choosing of theme is a subject of careful attention. Mindfulness doesn't grip; it, it's, in the, you know, it's not clinging, it's not obsessive. It's just steady, open to that phenomenon. Uh, qualities here we talked about metta and metta practice and um, deeply cultivate an open heart. Do you advise using metta phrases when doing metta practice? It sort of depends who I'm talking to. Really. If that works for them, I would. I don't. You know, it's good. But. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it carte blanche, you know, just, this is what to do. Um, because, you know, metaphrases themselves, phrase is just a phrase, it doesn't do anything really. <laughs> By itself, so where's the heart? You know, it may be that the phrase does evoke good heart, or it may be just the phrase evokes the phrase, or, or may I be well? May I be well? Okay, may I be well? May I be well? My father be well. My mother, sister, brother, next people next door, uncle, aunt, cousin, anybody else? Yeah, that's some that way. And it can be like a kind of quick, you know, flush of warm feeling. So, so that's if that works. If that does get that thing, that quality to to open, and then well and good. Um, as you can tell by somewhat um, parodying the process, it's not something I have great deal of confidence in. But if there is this, if one has that, that faculty is available, you know, and sensing that, it's really there, then we might very well say, oh, you know, this rich quality, bring to mind, you know, my brother. Just invite him into that. Bring to mind my cousin. And then maybe what kind of then? Well, be free, be released. Anything that's conducive to intoning that quality. Get the creature there first of all. And say it like that because we're so verbal. And, and we tend to think the word is the thing. And then do more. Now, closed heart, how to do, how to deeply cultivate an open heart. Mm. Well, an open heart is a deep cultivation in its own right. It's a result of deep cultivation. Mm. So I wonder, Seems to me there's, a, there's an interest here uh, in, uh, uh, to 
is something we call an open heart. It's interesting that uh, probably the experience that one has is the heart not being that open. So the degree to which, what are we talking about anyway? What are we talking about? What are we referring to? A sense of resistance is, I don't know what we're talking about. What you're talking about. But if I sense where's my heart not open, I find there are, there are places where it's, or people or topics, it's very difficult to bear with. A sense of despair, despond, uh, indifference, what's the point, uh, or he's really an annoying person. So there's a feeling that I, I feel like I can't really completely open and include and accept the presence of that thing phenomenon because it's painful, it's hurtful it's, it's, that, you know, I find it challenges me to, to do that it rocks me around too much I don't feel, feel overwhelmed or I find it difficult to maintain open presence with such things, such experiences so for this we do need the strengthening to maintain, so the strengthening comes from the body. You see, and the strengthening comes from qualities like morality. You know, strengthen means you say, I will not do this. I will, you know, I'll refrain from doing that. And that quality of resolve creates certain strength, strengthening effect. And, and it's not it goes beyond the thing that you're refraining from doing. The act of refraining is an exercise for the heart. It strengthens it. Just as the, the resolution to stay with something is an exercise for the heart. It strengthens it. What we stay with may not be that great or wonderful, but just the exercise of staying with it strengthens the heart. There's all kinds of things we might want to do and love to do and be fun to do. The exercise in refraining from it strengthens the heart. Uh, so these are, and then that is a tremendous asset. Because the stronger it gets, the less it crumbles and collapses in the face of atrocities and uh, hurts and qualities that otherwise cause the heart to close being mistreated, being mishandled, being despised, being judged, the heart will close. Heart's strong, it doesn't close. It maybe gets hit, and it holds itself. I do not allow that in. I do not allow that to, to, to cause constriction. Certainly the body helps in that, you know, in its own way. Because often the closure of the heart is also supported by a certain withdrawal in the body. So we lose our entire body, we get rather congested, contracted up in our face or head, chest, we go into something like a, a withdrawal system. Where the whole body is not properly felt. Energy is then tightened up. This is a very common experience. And we tighten up to defend ourselves. We tighten up to defend. Quite natural, it doesn't work. 
particularly psychological, this doesn't work. So, instead you open the entire body, go down to your feet, and then you find the strength there. So that, that strength gives you strength, certain energetic strength, and that supports a certain heart strength. So both of these qualities are to be cultivated. You know, the Buddha talked about development of loving kindness. He doesn't say, love everybody. First he says, be able, be upright, straightforward. Those are all moral trainings. Yeah? So he says, then, you know, you've got the capacity to not crumble in the face of unpleasant people. The nature of that is the heart's nature is to radiate and include. That's its nature. You don't have to force it to. But it's strong, grounded, it does not contract in the face of difficult things or things where it opens and radiates. That's what it will do. But to be able, it's like almost a requirement to develop a capacity and upright to maintain integrity, straightforward, not waffle, fabricate, just be nice, (laughs) or excuse, or blame, or be straightforward, but gently speak, so there's a certain, you know, I do not accept this behaviour, this is not appropriate for me, I'm not interested in that now, you know, somebody's giving you weird stuff, um, that's not for me. No, that's not for me. No, that's not for me. That's for you. you keep that. Straightforward, gentle, and repeated. And you keep, use your strength. And then you don't go into this kind of shaking, worrying, doubting, what thing. Then the nature of that is then you hold that, and sooner or later the quality of compassion will arise with people who are difficult and things that are difficult one can manage these difficult effects and the heart is so it's rather like that when we experience the converse, the closed heart we feel numb, we feel stupid, we don't know how to respond we feel kind of gobsmacked, we feel choked up, we don't know what to do and we feel flummoxed and lost then again, this is where, you know, you know, say getting the crowbar in there and wrenching it open, it's more like, oh, this is a closed heart. It's closed. How is that? Where is that? How is that? So by patiently with that. How is that? So the very question, how is that? Is already a heart question because you're not asking for a report. It's a sense I'm, I'm interested, mm-hmm. I care. How is that? And that just that suggestion can help the closed heart to start to you know, open a little bit. So we don't just throw a lot of metal onto it. This is still 
hurry up and open up. So, you, so this sense of this relationship, you know, with the in fact, with the, if there is a constricted or a closed part, feeling flatness, numbness, inability to feel something, then you don't give it a lot of metta in, in your, what your idea is. It just feels disrespected. But here you are, cheer up. <laughs> and you're not cheering up your miserable your closed heart so miserable shrunken creature getting stuffed all this metal on you you're still not doing it what a failure you are you know. <laughs> closes some more doesn't it so just respectful to say you know interesting metaphor somebody's been crossing a desert and they're dehydrated you don't give them a bottle of water. You give them a wet rag and just suck a little bit. That's all you can manage. So when the system is really dry, too much is like, you know, it's like a flash flood. The heart doesn't open, it just feels impinged upon. It's too much. So it's that sensitivity of just, how are you? How is that? Do you feel, you know, numb? Okay. Don't know what to do. Okay. It's that forming relationship is 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 the key. It's quite minimalist, and there's a certain uh, patience and discipline required for that. Naturally, we can feel quite open-hearted to in instances when um, you know lovely things are happening. People are beautiful and generous, and there's you know, free, free, loving friendship, that's, yeah, that's great. It's lovely when that's happening. But then, you know, when that goes away, we feel it, it's because all these loving people, I'm still the same shriveled up miserable <laughs> So, so that, you know, that's lovely, you know, but it doesn't, again, it doesn't quite do the, 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 the trick. You see what I mean? I hope it's useful to talk like this. I hope it's useful. These things are you know, so endemic. And we be very patient and realize we're not alone in, in any of this. Yeah. None of these difficulties are just yours. You're not alone in any of these things. You hear so much of it. So let's take a moment and anything that's useful, any one word that's been useful, linger in that.
So we want to, anything that's used with linger in it, we drink it in, taste it, feel how you can make it yours. It's not mine, make it yours. 